press the bell icon on YouTube and don't miss another update. Namaste viewers, welcome Sunday 10.30 a.m. Eastern Times. Just one moment, I need to fix something. Uh, namaste viewers, sorry for the little bit of a technology confusion. I had put on my other computer as well. So that's perfectly fine now. We are ready to go. Uh, the point of the matter namaste is... Viewers, sorry for the little bit of a Now we have fixed the glitch. You know, there is a lot of tension in the air today with India playing Pakistan and three wickets down. Uh, it is India going, having a tough time, but hey, it's a game. Life must go on, the show must go on. So uh, we are ready to go. And, uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, get, welcoming the friends, uh, Dr. Praveen Sinha and uh, Nupurji. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. We have, we have chosen the topic of uh, academic freedom being a joke in, uh, in, uh, in America at this point in time. So the question here is very simple, uh, Praveenji, that this particular thought has been uh, brought about and we, we, I have been always very conscious about reading certain articles. Professor Ashutosh Varshane, wrote in an article in Indian Express saying that uh, it is Jim Crow happening in India. That was a rather pathetic attempt at ac academic malfeasance in the name of academic freedom to peddle a thought. We will talk about that. But before that, I wanted to thank you, Nuparji, a lot, sincerely, for happy Karwa Chauth. You know, you wanted to have this readjusted. So wishing you and all Indians and all Hindus a happy Karva Chauth. It's an important festival. And this also brings me to another topic related to academic freedom in America being what it is, the attack on Hindus. You know, as of now we notice every Indian Hindu celebration has a patriarchal attack or or a climate change driven attack. So we'll touch upon that as well. But let's shoot shoot up with uh, the the concept of uh, Jim Crow being brought about in, in Hindu nationalism. And since Dr. Praveen Sinha is a professor in San Diego, and uh, you know he is part of the academic field in the United States, I wanted to hear from you, Doctor uh, Praveenji. Is that what do you think? How did you feel reading Mr. Varshney's article? I think let's be clear, it's an opinion piece. I believe it's not academic research. Um, so I think opinions are okay. Uh, when it comes to doing academic research or teaching in institution, the freedom is important and I respect that. Uh, but this is a very different piece. It's opinion piece in Indian Express. And uh, uh, it's printed as a opinion of a professor at a reputed university, Brown, which is a a well-established university in the US, Ivy League University. So it has a brand name. And I think he's doing a disservice to the university by printing this kind of work. Because one thing that is very important for us in academics, that whenever we open our mouth, we want to be objective, we want to present things with integrity, and we don't want to be a political hack. And Ashutosh Varshney is nothing but short of a political hack. I mean, he's literally, uh, which is very difficult for me to understand why would a university professor uh, put all his reputation on the line uh, to do a dirty job for a political party. Uh, and, and I want to say that with the utmost care because uh, during the pandemic times, 
uh, he did hold an interview with Rahul Gandhi on Zoom, and I will request people to watch it. And I can go through that a little bit later, but I think to short answer to your question, Vibhutiji, is that it's an opinion piece, he's entitled to it, uh, and it's in a newspaper. It's not an academic publication, but we should take it with a grain of salt, knowing what he is. So thank you. Uh, this is important. You know, you just made a very nice, clear distinction between academic freedom, research paper, and an opinion paper. The problem lies here is his assertion, his claim. He's establishing a claim, laying down a groundwork to, in, in a very facetious way, to call Hindu nationalism as a Jim Crow. And interestingly enough, he does mention what Jim Crow was all about in the US context. And I'm talking about that. It demeaned the blacks. We all know that. It demeaned the blacks. It's brought together laws and practices which deprived black American of voting rights, forced segregation upon their neighborhood, churches, schools, and business, and social lives. Interracial marriages were outlawed. You know, and it was institutionalized by 1890. That was called Jim Crow South. Nupurji, I wanted to ask you this particular element with a personal thank you for joining us today, despite all the, you know, Karavachaut and all the festivities that are going on. So thank you for agreeing to be on the show. You are a known person in India. You're Op India. You are the chief editor. Uh, you are doing an outstanding work because you are building a narrative. So I wanted to check with you, you know, Satya Muvach, Priya Muvach, you are quite a firebrand in your own right. People love you and they hate you, depending on which side of the coin they flip on that day. So you, what do you think about this uh, academic dishonesty, if I may call it? Uh, firstly, thank you for having me here. And uh, yes, they either hate me or they love me, but thankfully they can't ignore me. <laughs> so, uh, when I was reading this article, I agree with uh, Dr. Sinha, it's an opinion piece, it's not an academic journal, it's not a research paper, but the fact that this is by uh, Professor Vashne has the credibility of an, uh, at least is expected to have the credibility of an academician attached to it. Right. And therefore, it's going to be taken far more seriously, unfortunately, right. by a lot of individuals who would otherwise discard uh, opinion pieces and perhaps hardly even read such drivel. Uh, what I felt by when I was reading this article, I have to admit, I hadn't read it before I got your invitation, Mr. Jha, because um, I don't read uh, opinion pieces by Brown Sahibs a lot. But uh, when I did read it, it is basically a dog whistle to uh, the USA. It has nothing to do with India. It has nothing to do with Indians. This is an opinion piece which is not supposed to be read or taken seriously or even considered by Indians. It is one um, colonized brown sahib talking to the other colonized brown sahibs and their white masters, um, which is why they have very carefully, he has drawn the comparison between Jim Crow laws and uh, Hindu nationalism, not just Hindu nationalism, very specific laws like CAA, NRC, and the abrogation of 370. So it's purely a dog whistle, which has no basis in reality. And he has, uh, you know, it's really funny in this article, he says that, oh, we generally say that Hindu nationalists are like the Nazis. But hey, um, you know, I don't think our original argument about uh, Hindus opening concentration camps for Muslims would really stand scrutiny. So let's change tack and instead of calling them Nazi, let's start calling, uh, uh, equating Hindu nationalists to Jim Crow America and saying that they're discriminating against Blacks because they want to draw this equivalence of Blacks equal to Muslims without really realizing the nuances of what happened in America and how it's completely different from the nuances of India given that uh, we have been under Islamic uh, invading rule for so many years. So there are far greater nuances to what's happening in India and nuances which the American population ordinarily does not really understand. And he is uh, manipulating that ignorance to draw false equivalents, to uh, dog whistle to the brown sahibs in the USA and the liberal 
woke politicians in the USA who next time instead of tax the rich they're going to say uh, save muslims in india on their white dress going to a gala which costs them $30000 a night so i think this is a typical dog whistle it's not meant for india it's meant for the woke liberal politicians in the usa and it's meant for his fellow brown sahibs who um, i think if they don't behave in this manner um i don't think they're going to get the gravy train that they get currently in uh, us politics or us uh, universities we can go into the details of the uh, the article after uh, dr sinha was in i would love to do that sure sure thank you thank you very much and pradinji the, the issue here is like nupur ji has been mentioned about the dog whistle and 30000 dollar fundraisers and things like that but you and i know living here and of course nupur i by that i don't mean nupur doesn't uh, she knows more and so the point with the matter here is that it will be i it will be a remarkable attack it, india is under attack the wokeism is creating that scenario there are equivalences drawn and i believe in they never take any opposition for granted when somebody from an ivy league brown makes an opinion piece he is probably provoking a research and you and i and we all know not i shouldn't say you and i we all know what research means in this case it's like united states i read in new york times that two drinks are good for your health you know so that becomes a research if you walk on the right side of the road you will not get hit by the car driving on the left side of the road so united states is famous for such silly researches as well in addition to outstanding research done so things pass off as something but i want to address this question also from the point of view of the fact how do we contest that because it is it is this particular narrative which washane is trying to peddle you have to look at it juxtaposed with ilhan omar's attempt to bring about blasphemy laws by introducing a bill in US Congress along with 23 others to somehow declare islamophobia is a global challenge and to ban that you know that means you dare not ask a question it has to be juxtaposed and what i find is that people who are against us they are very mobilized very determined their course it, it almost looks like that they are on a war table war room war table they know which pawn to move when so one one gets one dismantling hindutva hindutva failed so now it is the jim crow as if their plan and plots and the pawns are all put in place they know which move to make when in this light do we need to take this seriously do we ignore it or do we attend to that a cut in time saves nine the famous stitch in time saves nine today we are victims of not attending to these evil intentions in time pravindi your thoughts well you know i'll just comment a little bit more about comparing hindutva to um, nazi germany concentration camp kind of a set of versus your uh, jim crow south uh i think they are definitely adamant on building a narrative and uh, we know living in the usa that when you use the word uh, <clears throat> uh nazi germany like treatment it's not taken seriously because we know something like that will not happen ever again even though china is doing it we are ignoring it here somehow for some reason right you know it will not happen but so what do we do we try to spin it and give another narrative so that we can keep on demeaning this whole idea uh, it's it's almost like saying that you know it's not polite to say your mother is ugly so i'm not going to say your mother is ugly but i'll say your mother is dumb that's what they're trying to do is basically instead of using one way to insult you they're finding a second way to insult you and then i think you're right it may spur some some people writing more pieces on it oh yeah that's what hindutva is all about um one more point i like to add before i go further is that we we have failed to uh, counter what is hindutva versus what is not hindutva and they have defined it and it's basically uh, demeaning hinduism as a religion in the disguise of hindutva 
Um, and I think we saw that dismantling Hindutva conference. And we need to have a strong response every time when we see these propagandas being put out by people in the name of academics. We did a pretty good job in countering Hindutva. I will say sometimes it's good when they speak. The more they speak, the more we know about them. So let them open up their mouths. And the more they will talk, the more we'll know about it. But this piece is basically a very serious hatchet job. And I think I agree with you that this may lead to some people writing more along those lines. Our job should be to bring it out in front to the public that this is a dishonest attempt. Ad academic integrity means that you should listen to all points of view. You don't simply say, this is my point of view, my way or highway. Uh, dismantling Hindutva conference had no counter arguments at all. It was all Hinduism is ugly, more ugly and nothing but ugly. That's all that was. If you pull up, pull up the three speakers there randomly. So <clears throat> we should expose this. We should not ignore it. And I think I intend to write a piece to basically counter that. And hopefully maybe Indian Express or some other place will look at it and try to publish it because we need to present the correct narrative. And when we go into this article, I'll talk a little bit more about it. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. And Nupurji, I was uh, taking the leaf out of Dr. Sinha's uh, statement, is that we have to, the more they speak, the more they expose how idiotic they can be, which is fine. At the same time, why always respond? Why not be proactive? Knowing the enemy that we know, knowing what we know, what they are trying to do, why not have a strategic intent in thinking through? You know, like, for example, attack on our festivities, whether it is patriarchal, called branded as patriarchal, or on the other hand, it is a climate change issue. The holy Diwali, everything. I mean, look at it this way. It is it really, it is an abomination to see those advertisements. When Fab India calls Nure Bahar or Chashme Uddur, whatever, and, uh, you know, Amir Khan gives the statement that puja karne ke liye sadak pe nahi, you know, road kharab hote hai, you know, that rubbish that we are seeing is a very, very, you know, why is it that we are not able to talk about their things? And what I notice, my concern is that we have to have a concerted strategic intent of responding, being ready to respond. As Praveenji has said very correctly, we have to be ready to respond. On the, on the other hand, anticipate and state it that whatever you might say, we are not. Because what it is, it has to be viewed in the light that the people who are committing jihad and murders all over the world are demanding that they should be protected uh, against Islamophobia. You know, isn't it bizarre? Nobody is asking that question that the most peaceful faith that is ours is called as an oppressor, oppressor group of people that we oppress people. Isn't that something which must violate any thinking Hindu's mind? What the hell is this all about? So how do we get proactive? And people like you who are proactive and stating the truth, bitter, harsh, or whatever it is, you are branded. We people are bland, branded as some kind of an evil. Whereas we are the ones, we are the good ones. <laughs> we are trying to save the world. Your thought, Nirmuji. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things before I get to your point, Mr. Jha. Firstly, um, I have a slight point of contention with uh, Dr. Sinha. I don't think uh, academic honesty is listening to all sides. There is a right side and then there is a stupid side. Now, if somebody says that the earth is round, you're not going to invite a flat earther to give his opinion. Uh, so uh, there is one side uh, which if you evaluate the facts honestly, um, you will get to the truth. And that's the fact, that's the side that should be presented. I don't think we need both sides. Uh, when we are talking about human rights, we don't need a Talibani spokesperson on the table saying that human rights are not important and we reserve the right to throw homosexual off buildings and uh, stone women to death. That's not the kind of debate we have in a civilized world. So I don't believe that every issue has two sides. And this issue does not have two sides either. Um, as far as being branded is concerned, I think we have reached a point where we need to stop taking pride in calling ourselves peaceful. Because every time we call ourselves peaceful, we tell the world that, hey, we have happily died for your cause. We tell the wokes that, listen, 
we are dying by thousands but we are so peaceful that we haven't defended ourselves so please stop calling us fascists no great country is based on human rights let me make this very clear america least of all the people that mr vashne is trying to dog whistle america is not based on human rights they have wiped out the indigenous tribes by the hordes look at what's happening in canada you're finding indigenous children buried uh, in the ch in church backyards uh so the western world i think needs to and their brown and the brown sahibs who go to the western world and dog whistle need to stop pontificating to india about human rights uh because the country that they are trying to dog whistle in is not exactly based on human rights to begin with um mr vashne should first perhaps talk about the treatment of african americans and indigenous tribes in places like the usa canada etc before talking about india because i don't know if he's an uh, indian citizen or not but uh, i hope that after all this drivel he just ends the charade gets a green card and settles abroad good riddance for us indians that's one so um as far as uh, 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 being branded and being proactive is concerned mr cha let's look at this how are we supposed to be proactive in saying that no no we are being just and these are not jim crow laws there is absolutely no way to preempt the abyss of insanity that this lot is going to uh, you know fall to there is absolutely no way of predicting the uh, the 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 state of dementia in which they are going to be after drinking two bottles of wine and writing articles that get published in equally trashy newspapers in india and abroad you cannot be preemptive you cannot preempt their dementia so all we can do is respond and this article is very specifically timed to look at the uttar pradesh elections he yes. says this in the last paragraph specifically most critical uh, he said challenge the bjp electorally beyond the 11th state where it is not in power most critically in uttar pradesh um encourage federal pushback and democratic protest movements and then he goes on to say that the judiciary is compromised in one sentence but he says the judiciary is compromised so he is basically saying that india has no democracy india has no judiciary and people need to take to the streets after the entire three page drivel that's his um conclusion if you look at this in tandem with what twitter did when they released their statement uh, about india they used a phrase which they had only used during the arab spring if you see the delhi riots and how it panned out and the narrative in the western media it is the same thing all over again they are trying to undermine democracy in india and they are trying to undermine the people of india and they are trying to civilize the heathens and uh, uh, you know coolies like professor varshney are just helping them do that so there is absolutely no 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 uh, no possible realm in which we can preempt uh the next nonsense that they are going to spew in papers uh because it's the same drivel over and over again they have mentioned caa nrc 370 uh you know the grooming jihad laws where you know he comes from a country where if uh, immigrants if illegal immigrants are committing a crime uh the administration is scared to take action because they think they'll be branded uh, racist they have pockets in which sharia law is applied the pure research came only a few weeks ago and they are still peddling drivel like um you know they we are sub hindus are subjecting muslims to lynchings there is forced segregation upon neighborhoods and churches um you know while drawing a comparison to the jim crow laws and he says that um intermarriage relationship intermarriage between black man and white woman especially was outlawed and if you look at the pure research there are 80% muslims who say that their women muslim women should not be marrying hindu men and there are only 67% hindus who express the same opinion on the other hand there are 76% muslims who say that muslim men should not marry hindu men so there is no two sides to this and there is no logical debate that you can have you can mount a challenge to this nonsense by writing an article i know dr sinha will i know i will eventually swaraj has already written an article uh, rebutting this nonsense 
but uh, there are no two sides this is pure political garbage uh, peddled by a professor because he hopes that um, coolies and their white masters are going to take this nonsense seriously a because it dog whistles to a traumatic past in the us and it immediately rings an emotional bell and as uh, mr jha and i were talking the left believes in uh, basing their arguments on emotions unlike the non left which bases their arguments on facts and figures unfortunately like i was referring to statistics but uh, so it's an emotional dog whistle and it's meant to ring that bell in the mind of coolies and their white masters that okay so this is what's happening in india they don't understand the nuances but they're go going to go back immediately to the jim crow traumatic past and they're going to equate that with india and then you're going to see more white celebrities uh, come out in the open and tweet about this nonsense and talk about this nonsense and therefore they can form a narrative right before the uttar pradesh elections that's the only aim of this article very well uh, said <clears throat> before i come to pravin ji i wanted to say that preemption is something like knowing the enemy when you know i'm not saying that we can predict their act next act i'm talking <clears throat> about preemption as a preparedness in our management consulting work we often talk about we don't know the future but we have to be in a state of readiness that to deal with eventualities and machinations now let me say this to you here let's let me share this with you in 2020 elections in us i have been saying this ever since then ever since then that what happened in the us in 2020 which in jaipur dialogue we call the panchma cards did uh, in this part of the world it's coming to the us india for 2024 you we know about the toolkit greta's toolkit you know we know about what their intent is in between the up election has become very critical because they obviously want to dismantle yogi ji because he is uh, heralded as the next leader of uh, you know uh, of india and they will try to be smirching with everything that is there in the toolkit we know that so when i use the word preempt or prepare is more to say knowing what our enemy is doing knowing what his intent is how are we preparing ourselves to respond you are totally right it is about responding we are not villains we are not going and killing our slitting throats but we have to definitely reorient our philosophy of atithi devo bhava because the atithi is trying to slit our throat so that when the barbarian is at the gate we can't offer him lassi champagne and gulab jamun or a ganda kamala to welcome home no we have to reorient refurbish and reposition ourselves that's the point which i am talking about how do we get battle ready pravin ji you wanted to say something on that. yeah uh, <clears throat> nupur i wanted to clarify on that part the one that you disagreed with me a little bit Uh, we don't see flat earthers in the conferences because they used to come and we dismantle them that your theory is junk and that you don't belong because now we have cleaned it out so academic freedom is important and let me tell you why it is more important now imagine a conference in which 10 flat earthers come and tell other people you're not even allowed to get in that's what dismantling hindutva conference was all about and that's what i was mentioning let the let the bad ideas come in good ideas come in in the end we'll sort it out but shutting out some ideas because somebody thinks because i can tell you there are people on their side who believe they are absolutely right and it was nothing but evil because they have been brainwashed they do not present the facts about gavalkar gavalkar in 1938 about what was the atmosphere at that time what he says words were coming from the other side when you take all of that out and present a very tainted picture it is imperative that we have academic freedom the whole idea is that good ideas will supersede the bad ideas but if you put only one ideas you will start believing those ideas to be correct so let me clarify that part that i agree with you but flat earthers don't come anymore because we have dismantled them long time ago and they have no place left nobody agrees with them right now when we talk about hindutva which is a new concept <clears throat> if they keep on saying what they want to say and do not listen to the other side they basically have created a narrative which is difficult to beat 
So <clears throat> that was my point about Nippur. I totally agree with you, other points that you raised here. Uh, this is nothing but a hatchet job, literally a hatchet job in which, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the facts are basically taken out, selective items have been disclosed to achieve a intention, intended outcome. Uh, I want to just say one thing more here. If you read this article, because I don't think we can go through in detail about everything, you'll see the word lynching used repeatedly. Lynching here, lynching there, this is being lynched. And it is very disturbing to people in the West because lynching does not happen in the US. And when lynching happens, actually in Jim Crow South, it did happen because that was to dehumanize the African-Americans. We are not going to shoot you. We're going to lynch you so that we basically do not treat you like a human being, dehumanize you. So that lynching has a very negative connotation in the US. What people do not realize in the West is that if we replace lynching with shooting, there's a lot more shooting in the USA. In India, the matters are settled on the street because there are no guns. So when people have disputes, whether they're communal, whether they're based on criminal elements, the best way to describe them will be lynching because guns are very rare in India. We have strong gun controls in India. So when matters are settled, they're settled in a very, I would say, not the best way, but that's how they settle it, because they don't have guns. We have a lot more killings in the US based on guns. People, do, So I think deliberate use of the word lynching is to invoke an emotion, which in the West is viewed very, very negatively. Because they will say, why don't you just shoot the person if you're so angry or somebody is that bad? Lynching is done to make a statement that we are dehumanizing you. In India, lynching happens Hindu against Muslims, Muslims against Hindu. It happens in every possible combination because it's basically a reflection of crime in India. And by all measures, the Indian crime is much, much lower than the crime in in US. One more point I want to make, and I wish Vibhutiji had a way to show you a graph because I'm an empiricist. I look at data. I uh, Anushud Sharma, he's a, a PhD. He just finished his PhD from UPenn in physics. He sent me this table, which I, I wish I could share with you. If you go by simply lynching or crime in India and look at the last 20 years, every time BJP came into power, the lynching went down, not went up. And whenever Congress came to power, lynching and all that went up, not down. You saw that in Bengal, very clear evidence of what happened in Bengal, that, but nothing was hardly reported anywhere except people who wanted to bring out the truth. So. What they have done is obscure the data, not even present it, and present the data that suits the narrative. So whenever BJP comes, talk about lynching. And never point out the fact that this lynching actually goes down under BJP. The amount of crime in UP is so low at this time. That is never talked about. So these two points are very important. Lynching has a very negative connotation in the West. Uh, and the crime in India is much less compared to the US if you look at the gun violence, but it always goes down under BJP, but they project the image as if it is going up exponentially. Thank you. You're muted, Vibhuti. I, I would definitely want you to send that uh, research done by your friend in UPenn, because we will put it up on the Jaipur Dialogue website, uh, including sharing with more people, because that's a very, very vital data. I won't call it the statistics, I would call it data. Because that's a fact that if if the if the incidences of uh, lynchings and mayhem are less in in under BJP rule, that the world needs to know. So Nupur, I'm coming to you again with this aspect. We have talked about the freedom, academic freedom. Uh, there is a tremendous disappointment, and actually, one of my friends, Manolita, today mentioned to me that freedom is a joke in America. Freedom itself has become a joke in America. Because nobody trusts anything on anyone. And in the name of freedom, people indulge in all kinds of garbage, dog whistle, and what Dr. Praveen said. Ah, oh, that's great. Thank you. That's what Dr. Praveen said, that this out ugly truths, ugly, ugly, ugly elements of the conversation. So okay. Yeah. I'm showing you the graph. Yeah. You see the orange one? 
Yes, I going do. down is BJP. The uh, blue Mrs. Sinha, up. What, what year is the peak, if you could tell me? Uh, that was around, okay, let me, 2014 was the peak. Okay. okay. So it was all Congress versus BJP differential. So this graph is very important that we print this out. The article I'm writing, it will be part of that. Oh, to demonstrate that what lynching we are talking about, Ashutosh Vashni is so fond of, is basically opposite of what he's saying. He's lying through his teeth, not presenting the data, and this is the fact. So That's please look at this carefully. Orange part, the two times BJP was in power, the crime always lynching and all those went down significantly. And as soon as Congress came to power, it went up. And we're talking about the last 25 years or so. That's absolutely terrific, Praveenji. That is a great data to share. And I would, again, remind you, please do share it with us. Make you part of your article. Maybe Nupur will publish it in Op India. You don't need to wait for the leftist Indian Express, as I prefer to call it. You know? like, so it is not for no reason that the Indian Express published it. Uh, <clears throat> but, but that was important to share. That's powerful. Coming back to you, Nupur, you know, Nupurji, this is something which is, we see the determined manner. I mean, determination is a positive word. I'm saying the vicious manner in those who want to destroy Hindu. What is the reason for that? The academic freedom is so much talked about in this part of the world. Academic freedom, freedom of this, freedom of that. Is, are we witnessing a scenario in which freedoms are being abused? In the name of freedom, blatant lies are peddled, and there are vested interests doing that. Money bags are doing that. You know that. Uh, you know. Uh, you know. I, I'm glad you talked about that element. That sentiment and emotion buys the vote, moves the people. Logic and reasoning is viewed with. Oh my God! I got to work. So you know, in a in a in a in a society that we live in, in America particularly, there is no free lunch. But the Democratic Party is offering everything free, including education, particularly when education is so expensive. Where do you see, and you are a great observer of events around us, give your thought on it. How does one contest, how does one address that challenge? Yeah, uh, so there was one, uh, before again, before I get to your question, there was one very interesting point that Dr. Sinha raised, that he's used... Uh, Mr. Vashne has used lynching over and over again because it invokes a specific kind of sentiment in the US. And I had seen this the last time during the Delhi riots where they ignored the entire uh, run up to the riot. They ignored all the violence and all the planning that the uh, Islamist groups and the leftists had done to unleash violence. And they termed it the anti-Muslim pogrom. Now, they didn't turn it, term it the genocide, they didn't term it a massacre or murder or riot, but they specifically chose the word pogrom because it invokes the cleansing of an ethnic group, much like the Jews in Europe. So um, they choose their words extremely carefully to invoke certain sentiments in the Western uh, world. And that is their aim whenever they choose their words it's not for the indian audience because uh, frankly a large part of indian readership will not really differentiate between a pogrom and a genocide uh, and these terms are often used very loosely without understanding the context behind them but they choose their words extremely wisely so i think one way to counter this is to genuinely understand the terminology that we need to use and why the left is using certain words um, that they are using when there are issues in India that they want to amplify in the Western media. So uh, when you see these uh, white celebrities or these Western celebrities come out and make these statements, it's not because they understand the nuances of what's really happening in India. It's not because they know what's happening in India. It's because those certain sentiments have been evoked by the terms that the left has been using over and over again. Um, so for Yogi Aditya, they're going to call him the militant monk because they want to connect it to what happened um, with the Rohingyas and you know call him a monk specifically because they want to equate it to what, what's happening there in their narrative. 
So it's very carefully crafted. And unless we understand why they use these terms, it's difficult to counter what they're saying. As far as the, uh, the general liberal um, global uh, ecosystem is concerned, why it's difficult to counter them is A, because we have managed to elect a government that we think is going to look out for our interests. But globally, the government and the establishment is extremely different. In the USA, I, I believe you refer to it as the deep state. In India, it's the left ecosystem, which uh, controls the media, the academia, the institutions like NGOs and the money that NGOs uh, get from different uh, various left organizations. So the establishment is not in control of the government. And the government and the establishment is different. And the, since the government does not control these arms in a democracy, and the establishment does, for us to counter this narrative globally becomes extremely difficult. Because the all the arms of the establishment that can amplify your message is not in your control. The mass media is not in your control. The academia is not in your control. Um, the NGOs are not in your control. The activists are from the left. So what option do you have to amplify your voice and amplify um, your defense or to amplify the response that you want to give to this uh, uh, news article, even something as small as a news article? I am going to write, and that is going to be limited to Op India. Dr. Sinha is going to write wherever that he writes. But Dr. Sinha is not going to get a column in the New York Times to write his rebuttal. He's probably not even going to get a column in Indian Express. Uh, to rebut this article. So countering this narrative is extremely difficult. And I hate to sound pessimistic, but almost impossible at a global stage because the establishment is not in your hand, not in India and not abroad. Secondly, the left has a con common minimum program that they ally with globally. And they find common ground, whether it's the left in India, whether it's the left in the US, or whether it's the left elsewhere, even in China, for example, they are going to find issues that they broadly agree on. And therefore, then they're going to ally globally to take on the non-left or to take on the, the institutions that they think are veering away from the message of the left. And I'm terming the left, I'm you know, using the word left very loosely. I'm in that bracket, I'm putting the leftists, the Islamists, the, all of them. Now, the right per se is different in every country. In the US and the India, the right has absolutely almost nothing in common except their hate for the left. <laughs> so when you talk to a uh, when you talk to a non-left individual or an alt-right individual or whatever they like to call themselves in the US them and I are never going to agree because they are going to come from an Abrahamic Christian perspective and I'm going to come from a Dharmic perspective. So I am going to talk about uh, the atrocities which are being heaped by Islamists as well as the conversion activity of the Christians. And that we are never going to agree on. And that is always going to be a point of conflict. They are going to talk in terms of race. We are going to talk in terms of religious persecution. Their ideas are always going to be Abrahamic. Our ideas are always going to be Dharmic. So the right globally or the non-left globally can never ally. They barely even have a common minimum program except their hate for the left. You saw there were certain individuals from the non-left in the US who uh, made statements after the 26th January uh, violence. They made statements against Greta Thunberg when she issued a statement. And they made statements against Rihanna after she issued a statement. But that's not because they understand the nuances of India, but because they are the leftists in the US who they want to pull down. So um, over here, an enemy of an enemy is not necessarily our friend. And therefore, it's extremely difficult to counter this narrative globally. We can do it at, on an individual uh, level, where hopefully the electoral outcome is not going to be affected by what the establishment is saying. But on a narrative level, at this point of time, it is I believe it is almost impossible to counter them globally. A, because you don't have the establishment in your hand. And B, because the non-left globally cannot ally. Because there is no common minimum program like the left does globally. So we can do it individually and we can take baby steps, putting one foot in front of the other. But uh, without government intervention, I don't see individual 
news organization, websites, discussions, articles, countering the global left. And essentially, that's what we are trying to do. We are trying to counter the global left um, because it's not just one article in the Indian Express. It's everything put together. It's George Soros putting billions of dollars to counter nationalism, uh, as he said, which included, uh, he named Prime Minister Narendra Modi specifically. Um, so I don't see a way out, really. I might sound pessimistic. I'm sorry for that, but I no, don't no, see a way Can I respond to that? One minute. Um, one minute. I'll, no, I'll, 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 I think you're wrong. You're not, you're too pessimistic. No, I would I think, think Nupurji, only one thing is that I'm an incorrigible optimist. So that makes us two to tango. That's important. I don't believe in the word impossible. I believe that anything is possible, it, you know, if provided we commit to doing so. And you beautifully made the argument that while things look very pessimistic and hopeless, hey, the stupid left organized itself to do what it is doing. Why can't we? That's the question that I have in mind. I'm of the opinion that those who are arraigned against me, so long as I know who they are, I'm ready to fight. We you know, Mr. Tar, as a journalist, it's my job to be pessimistic, thankfully. <laughs> and I keep no. saying that every day I feel like we are documenting our end. So I'm going to be a pessimist um, as long as, uh, you know, maybe hopefully someday I see some light. But right now it's my job to be a pessimist and uh, foresee our end and tell Hindus that, all right, this is probably the last generation which is going to live free. And hopefully that paranoia that I can infuse will wake us up and get us to move our uh, posteriors and do something about the... I love your confession. I love your confession. Now you prove that you are not actually a pessimist. You are a strategist, a strategist in this particular sense. And I admire that. That's the point mm -hmm. which I'm driving at. Yeah. What must we do to change this narrative? Praveenji, all yours. Yeah, um, yeah, I would say between a pessimist and an eternal optimist, I think I want to be a realist in between. Um, uh, I think, Nupur, one thing I'd like to add is that we should not underestimate the power of social media. I think WhatsApp University is very powerful. So is Twitter. Think these leftists, and that's why I said earlier, the more they speak, the better it is for us. Because more Rajiv Gandhi, Rahul Gandhi gives interviews, more we know about him. It is good that, then, that they speak. We'll correct them. And I think the, the tide is not in their favor. I frankly believe it is not in their favor. People are learning more and more. Articles like these are exposing them. Hatchet jobs, people are not no longer that ignorant. For a long time, people used to read the local newspaper and they listen to the editorial opinion and vote accordingly. We don't do that anymore. Newspapers are irrelevant. Uh, people have started to gather knowledge at their own. And I think people like you, Nupur, are doing a good job in terms of getting all this information out. It is needed. So, yeah, they may have a big gun. We have got a small bullets and we've got a lot of them. And I think collectively it's a war of that. Yeah, but Dr. Sina, I again draw a distinction between them talking a lot and the impact that is that it has compared to countering the global left. Now, when they talk a lot, and when uh, websites like Op India, Swarajya, uh, individual work like what Anushrut, uh, you know, you showed that draft, that is, that is the most powerful draft that can go out in the public because it refutes their uh, uh, argument completely. So everything that you put out works to unite Hindus further so that there is no um, real ground level damage that the global left can do in India. Uh, but at the same time, while they're talking a lot, and of course, you know, whatever they say is complete drivel, and it just unites the Hindus further and awakens them further, which is a great thing. But countering the global left is, again, extremely different. We are not at that stage, and I don't see it happening anytime soon, where, forget about me, I have brand branded myself a Hindu uh, nationalist and a Hindu, whatever they like to call me, so I'm out of the picture. But somebody like you writing an article in New York Times or the Washington Post so that they present both views to their readers. Um, that I see uh, as a difficult feat to counter. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, at least not for seven to 10 years. 
Um, perhaps if there is again a government change in the US and they manage to uh, get a government which is far more pro-non-left than the left and globally there are non-left governments which start dismantling these institutions and the establishments one by one, maybe in another decade we'll get there. But right now, we all we can do is unite our own people to ensure that there is no ground level damage that the global left can do. But countering them at a global level is something that almost seems impossible right now because nobody, no non-left government of significance has control over the establishment. You're saying that social media is important, but we saw what happened during the US elections uh, on social media. Your former President Trump was banned. The Hunter Biden story was suppressed. It was nowhere. And it had a real ground level impact in mm -hmm. US. There is a far greater audience on social media than they are in India. And we don't have a counter elite as well to begin with. This is another conversation that I was having in on Clubhouse with a young man of 20 years old called, uh, uh, anyway, I forget his name, but the conversation was that they have their elite. And while the non-left focuses on the masses, we have not yet focused on creating a counter elite. So who is going to counter the elite from the West It's a, or elite from the left? It's not people like me. I'm not a part of the elite at all. I am the unwashed masses. So who's going to be that elite from our side to counter the elite from their side? We haven't worked on that at all. So it's going to take another decade to get there, is my opinion. I, think I, I would like to say that you have stated the problem very, very clearly, is that to establish the elite, establish the narrative, the storyline, the building structure, that will begin to support. Yes, it is not going to happen overnight. It will take time. What we have to recognize that those who oppose us, those who want us gone, they have been active for a very long time. And if we are able to wake up, rise, perhaps there is an opportunity to, to set things right. But as, a, as the law of physics says, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. To turn that phrase into management jargon, we always say every trend has a counter trend. So we have to identify the counter trend that is happening around the world against the falsity, against the ridiculousness of, of the left that is happening, okay, against the fact that Islam Muslims are killing people and they are also claiming victimhood. These things have to be belied with a question demanding reciprocity. So I have a very simple philosophy on this regard, is that, hey, you want to build your mosque? Go ahead. We have freedom of religion, but you also have to, you also have to let us build temples in your regions. This is important to demand reciprocity. The, the question is, how do you blunt the opposition abusing our hospitality is by demanding reciprocity. That's the key thing. We have okay. forgotten that part. So Mr. you also have to uh, consider the O'Sullivan's law, which says that anything which is not expressly right is going to over time become left. That's right. So um, again, that's the pessimistic me in no, <laughs> the pessimistic. No, you, you, we, you, we are we are all we are all yeah. under the under the garb of optimism, pessimism, and uh, Praveenji said realistic. We we are all realists. We are assessing a scenario. And presenting it to the listeners today is that, guys, wake up. You know, it's, it's a, it's a wake-up time for all of us. Otherwise, we are going to be vaporized one way or the other. So, Sinaji, your, your call. Yeah, I think we are running short on time. So I want to bring out one more thing about this article. Thank you for reminding because... me of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I thought it will come up, but it, it has not come up. So let me bring it up here. In USA because of this critical race theory, people are always looking at everything from an oppressor and oppressed lens. Uh, the Jim Crow South, as we talk about, is basically a story of extreme oppression over a very long time period, over 400 years, by an oppressor, which was predominantly whites, against an oppressed class, which were African-Americans. And it continued from 
extreme to very bad for a very, very long time. Jim Crow era was basically coming out of slavery, but trying to treat them as slaves de facto, which is what he's pointing out, which is very correct. But when you <clears throat> make the analogy with India, you need to go back to the same time periods, maybe a little bit more to understand that Hindus were the ones who were oppressed for over 800 years. The period he cites is 1938. That was the period when the oppression was about to come to an end. It was a Muslim oppression and then followed by the colonial oppression. And we are talking about a time period when the oppressed class is trying to find a way and negotiate its way out into being free. So I think this analogy of whites, Muslims with uh, African-Americans and whites with Hindus cannot be more wrong. And how he blatantly does that is despicable in my mind. And people need to understand that the oppressed class were the Hindus for over 800 years. And if you oppress a community for such a long time period, and when they're getting free, you will have different views on how to be free. The whole negotiation over whether Hindus and Muslims can exist together was happening at that time. And it was the Hindus who said, no, we will live together. And it was the Muslims at that time who were basically promoted by the Britishers who said, no, we cannot. And that's why they had a Muslim-only country, which is Pakistan. India accepted that idea. All that background is totally ignored. One line is pulled out from totally out of context and painted the entire Hindu India into fascist. This is the highest form of academic dishonesty one can do. And he has done it. We need to point this out. People need to understand that. And I want to say this one more time openly, and I hope he's hearing it, that Ashutosh Varshni is nothing but a political hack. An individual with no integrity who's doing dishonest things in the name of acquiring or be in the good books of a political party which is out of power. Congress party, in my mind, is a sinking ship. It's only a matter of time before it sinks. And when you're in that desperate situation, you will do anything and everything. And I will ask people to watch Rahul Gandhi's interviews when he has come to USA. He has even asked in an interview with Nicholas Burns at Harvard, please intervene. I mean, what kind of a leader of a country will ask the largest democracy to come and request USA to intervene in India as if what is happening is so bad? So I'll stop here, but I want to make sure that people understand the analogy is absolutely, absolutely incorrect. And what he has put together as a narrative is a political hack. It's a political statement meant to achieve an outcome like Nupur pointed out, affect the elections in UP. So anybody who reads it, please understand this is pure sheer garbage. There's nothing absolutely true. Absolutely sheer garbage. Very well said, uh, Dr. Sinha. And the, uh, also I wanted to add, while Rahul Gandhi, Rahul Gandhi was talking you know, about seeking America's help to reinstall him in the government. Salman Khushid and Mr. Ayer were begging Pakistan to interfere and help them come back to power. How is it that we forget those incidences? It's, it, it is a calibrated, coordinated effort to hurt us. And it is now that we know who the enemy is, what they are doing, what they are going about. So we have to get to get in a state of readiness. And this is what is important. I think I, I draw that conclusion from this. Today, our biggest ally is the advancement of science and technology. The flat earthers, when they make flat earthers, they make a joke of themselves. We know that he is a pure brand of stupidity. You know, like you can't even have any other word for that. Likewise, if in today's world, I have asked this question of my Muslim friends without any malice, that in 21st century, if you believe in the concept of 72 virgins, heaven help you. There are signs which is established now that women are not responsible for gender determination of a child. Men are. 
there are certain things are irrefutable. Simply put, thunder and lightning doesn't happen because gods are angry. Let's kind of use the advancement of science and technology is bringing about an element in the life of people that they know that the earthquake, tsunami, or a nor'easter doesn't happen because gods were angry on that day. It's a global natural phenomenon. And that's where our Sanatan practices are relevant in today's world because people are, that's why people are walking away from organized religion which thrived on ignorance and gullibility of people induced fear in the whole process. So thank you very much for being here. Nupur, I will give you the last word before I use my quoting closing statement. Uh, thank you, Mr. Shah. I know that uh, I came into this saying that I'm not going to be too controversial. But since uh, you've asked us how we can preempt what the next steps are going to be, and since I've already made clear that I'm an extremely paranoid Hindu who wants our, my fellow Hindus to be paranoid, I want to make two points. A, we forget our own genocide. We forget how many of us have been killed. Forget about a political statement made by Rahul Gandhi. We are going to forget that in 30 seconds. We've forgotten um, how many of us have been beheaded. We've forgotten the women who were raped in West Bengal. We've forgotten uh, the people who were massacred, uh, Hindu brothers and sisters. So Hindus, unfortunately, have a very short memory. And they have a short memory because they're not paranoid enough. Secondly, I would like to make a prediction. Yes. So Mr. Vashne talks about Article 370 and how it's denying Muslims their right in the only uh, Muslim-dominated states. Essentially, he wants the right for Muslims to discriminate against Hindus. I predict that in the future, in fact, I had asked this question to a retired Supreme Court judge who had got rather miffed with me. That in the future, there's going to be a petition in the court, hope, you know, someday, which is going to say that um, killing kafirs in the name of religion is our freedom and our religious right. And therefore, it should be granted. And our courts are then going to open religious books and says that since it is an essential part of religions, uh, it's an essential part of this specific religion, um, therefore, the, the courts are going to allow it. And they're going to have no compunctions in saying that denying the rights of uh, Islamists to murder Kafir men and women is trampling upon their religious freedom. And we are going to see that day, as asinine it may sound, as it may sound, but we are going to see that day. And we are going to see flowery words arguing for the believer's right to massacre and behead the non-believer. And we are going to see that day. And um, Hindus need to be paranoid to realize that that day is coming. And we need to organize ourselves and understand that freedom of religion ends where our nose begins. Thank you. Uh, this is where I will say my last word here today at the time is coming to a close. Demanding reciprocity is key. And I have asked. And I keep asking. And I urge all of you to begin ask. Demand reciprocity. Kafir, why won't you abolish the word kafir if you want global peace, if you want to coexist? If you do not want to coexist, yes, sure you want to destroy me. That's what is important to expose them. And you know, in the hollowness of the faith, it has to be called out. These are very important words that we use in America. You've got to call out those who are on the wrong side of the system. And that's what is important. But before I close, I urge all of you, all the viewers today. I want to thank all the viewers. I want to thank Praveen Sinaji and Nupurji for being on a very tough TV day show because uh, today we have so many things happening. India-Pakistan match happening. You have Manchester United-Liverpool, a permanent perennial enemy teams playing today. You have Real Madrid and Barcelona playing their El Clasico and it is Karvacha. Go figure. I mean, it, it couldn't have been a tougher day. So maybe we have we have not hit the desired level of live uh, um, viewers, but I'm very glad we the show is going on. The show must go on. And to that end, I that's why Nupurji, when you requested to postpone this, I said, no, let's continue on. So, you know, we will rekindle this. We have to rekindle the narrative. But here is the last word on this. I want everybody to be agree or not. Um, there is a beautiful article in, written in 1907 by Sri Aurobindo. 
the bourgeois and the samurai. Please read that. You will find that irrelevant even today in the 21st century. And I quote from the first paragraph, the last sentence of the first paragraph. I'm quoting Sri Aurobindo. The solution to the problems of this kind has to be sought in abstractions, not machinery, but in men. It is the spirit in man which molds his fate. It is the spirit of the nation which determines its history. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, remember that part. This statement is relevant even today. Replace the word for political correctness, replace the word men with humankind, men and women together. But be that as it may, I would end the show. Thank you very much for being with us. Like, subscribe, Jaipur Dialogue USA. We are trying to build a narrative which is key, critical for all of us. And like JD USA, share, subscribe, Jaipur Dialogue and Jaipur Dialogue USA. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nupur. The India match has been very exciting. We started losing wickets in the very first over. I think we are still live, Vipratiji. Yeah, I know we are live. I'm just that's why I'm making the statement that the oh. is busy right now. Press the bell icon on YouTube and don't miss another update. Thank you. I think we did well. What do you think? Are we offline? Yeah, we are still live. Yeah. No, no, we are <laughs> offline now. <laughs> I think we're live. It says are we?